0: Welcome to the Get More Success Show. He's
1: a guy who never measured a man's success by the size of his What? Mm, let's get ready to rumble. It's showtime. Showtime.
0: Showtime. It's showtime. Showtime! Let's go!
1: And now, here is your host, Warwick Mary.
0: I'm excited to have with me today Mr. Roger Corville. Hi, Roger. How are you? Quite well. Thanks, work. Glad to be here. Now, Roger is the virtual presenter. Now, there's quite a few people listening who may not understand what that title is, and I'm sure you have to explain it all along. So, Roger, give me a
1: rundown. What is the virtual presenter, and who are you? Well, I'm a nobody, and uh, which, of course, is exactly why I'm on your podcast. Yeah, for sure. Hey, you know, most of us are at least aware of things like webinars, right? And, uh, you know, a, a web conferencing software tool, is just kind of what allows us to do multimodal, meaning multisensory ways of what we used to think of like as a conference call, but now we can do it online. And not only can we connect multiple two or 200 people or more uh, with audio, but now show something on our computer, like a PowerPoint presentation or collaborate on a document and even video of ourselves using our webcams. So whether it's an online version of a meeting or you're facilitating training or doing a web based seminar webinar or that kind of thing it's a great way for how people reach teach and lead in terms of how they digitally you know extend how they reach uh, teach and lead their uh, their tribe so I, I and i'm i'm assuming you didn't sort of wake up
0: one day and go i know i'll be a guru on presenting virtually I'm certain that there's a story that got you there. And so we're really focused on this podcast about success. How do we get more success and how will we define success? So when I was doing some looking around into improving my own presenting skills online, doing webinars or whatever, your name kept popping up. So how did you get to that level of notoriety, shall we say? So
1: what led up to becoming the virtual presenter? Well, as you uh, pointed out with your opening comment, sometimes we just back into things. In fact, even before I tell you my story, let me share with something that maybe your success-oriented or directed uh, listeners might find interesting. Uh, You know, eons back, I was at Microsoft, and one of the guest speakers that we had come in was Vince Lombardi Jr. Now... That's a a global name, but it's really an America phenomenon. So let me explain because you have Australian rules football. We get American rules football. And Vince Lombardi Sr., his dad, was like one of the legends. One of the first Hall of Fame football coaches in the early days of the National Football League here in the States. And um, such a legend that his son is now out touring on his name. Vince Lombardi Jr. wrote a book on success. And he said something rather interesting at this conference that I was at because I was a Microsoft employee. He said – Raise your hand if any of you grew up with your parents encouraging you to go into sales. About two-thirds of the audience were in sales. And and his point was exactly kind of where you're going, which is, you know, there are some things that you just don't get taught in school. And or you've got to have your antennas up. I love the way that you think about success because – Frankly, a lot of it happens from each other, like what I've learned from you. Mm. So in 1999, literally 15 years ago this month, I uh, I backed into a job in this conferencing industry, which was a, a, an extension of the – Audio conferencing industry that now added this web-based component to add this visual, and fast forward, um, you know, I worked for a company that was acquired by another company that was acquired by Microsoft. I left Microsoft and and got two million dollars U.S. of of angel funding to start a company, which we which we grew and sold, and then just started teaching. Meaning, I don't sell the technology anymore; just teaching the skills, and so in a rather circuitous way. In fact. I, I, like many of us, I don't. I exist and have a profession in an industry that didn't even exist 20 years ago, right? Yeah. And I, so I think that's actually rather um, uh, an interesting indicator of really what the nature of the world is. Do we, people still need to buy uh, hamburgers for lunch and flat whites uh, on their way to the office in the morning? Well, yeah, of course. Um, on the flip side of the coin, there's a huge part of our global economy that is enabled by things that frankly – they didn't teach us in school because it either didn't exist or they haven't gotten around to modifying a curriculum. So. Yeah, for sure.
0: Now, I, I love the way how you just glossed over, oh, yeah, we got $2 million worth of angel funding and built a business which we later sold off. So um, now,
1: now that was, uh, what was the name of that business? Uh, that company was called CoreVent, like corporate event. Right. We basically hosted and managed and uh, provided all the professional services around online events. Right. And so,
0: so for Corvent, um, uh, that must have been uh, – was your intent always to let's build this company and then sell it off and make a, a you know, truckload of money or was it just the opportunity came, someone tapped you on your shoulder and said, we like what we're doing, we're going to ramp it up?
1: Well, yeah, we began with the idea entirely entrepreneurial as in how do we not just grow, uh, create a product and service that people find a value so we, we create cash flow and customers uh, but also – with what you what you pointed out, which is how do we build the company as an entity so that it becomes valuable for the sake of acquisition? Yeah. Now, that, which in fact was true, except for the truckload of money part. <laughs> for the I'm still a working man, or not doing web conferencing from a sailboat off
0: Tasmania? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and a sailboats off Tasmania, mate, that is some of the roughest water you're going to want to sail. So you might pick somewhere warmer and more pleasant. Um, you can tell from my my <laughs> accent that I ain't from around here. You before. ain't from around here, boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, and, and th- that's very common in your industry as well, isn't it? Because Citrix, who own GoToWebinar, they seem to have snapped up all the new players onto the market. And if not Citrix, then other key players. Is that right?
1: yeah well, Citrix as an example uh they are a company that focused largely still to this day the big company focuses largely on i t oriented products information technology for the geeky parts of yep. of organizations and it was oh, ten ten years ago or something they bought the company that made what that made the technology that we now know of as go to meeting and go to webinar, mm. and they've of course made several other acquisitions yep yeah yeah okay, so
0: Now, you started off, you created a thing called the 1080 Group, which is uh, something that you still operate under. So, I've just had a bit of a look as to how that came together. So, how does what you're doing fit into that? Is that just the name of your company and you're working as the virtual presenter under it? Uh, Or is that something you do in addition to being the virtual presenter?
1: no that's that's the corporate entity so you know when we sold that previous company uh one of my business partners and i uh we did not intend to start another company we just happened uh, he happened to be the co-visionary of the company and it was kind of he and i that had created the core idea for the for the previous one and he and i were just having coffee one day and talking about where we saw the industry going and and uh, and, and in fact maybe there's a teachable moment in here for for the the folks listening which is not just my story but maybe an opportunity which is that all maturing markets tend to spin off sub-markets. And in this case, we were a part of an industry that was enabled by a particular kind of technology, and uh, which, of course, was around communication, which is what I love about it. It's not about technology. It's about communication and mm-hmm. connecting people. But uh, a sub-market it, historically has always been education, right? What? You can learn everything you need about Microsoft Word out of the help menu, but there are still people that have seminars and sell books around yeah, yeah. Get, get get started quickly guides for Excel or, or whatever. And so we just went, you know, I, we think there's something there. And uh, kind of the next step up from that was was soft skills training, right? Microsoft will teach you how to use Word, but they don't teach you how to be a writer. So people, you know, Citrix can teach you how to use GoToWebinar and WebEx can teach you how to use WebEx. But they don't teach you how to be a great presenter, or how to des- how the medium changes how we use maybe PowerPoint to engage at a sensory and cognitive and social level, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And we just knew, hey, say soft skills are in perpetual demand because it, the technology sooner or later becomes the easy part. The soft skills and the people part is usually the hard part and takes more time and practice. Yeah, uh, look, and I've always been of the belief that that.
0: Technology is like fire. It's a brilliant tool, but it's a poor master. Uh, when you get people who are driven by the technology, it, it doesn't come across as well when they're focused on how can I engage with the other person and communicate something of value and use whatever technology is appropriate to get there. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you're right. You know, I think most of us have been on... Webinars or been to conferences even, and there's a big difference between someone who's a presenter and someone who's an excellent presenter. And and it's not because they are better with the technology. It's just that they are, they have a, a different approach in how they engage.
1: Yeah, and well, I mean, in, you know, I mean, I'm te- technology. I'm not a technologist personally. It's a love hate thing. I, I love <laughs> tools that help me do do things. Yeah. I mean, a guitar is something that helps me do something, right? Yep. Yeah. And um, and here's the thing: you don't have to be a, a technologist. In fact, this morning I I, I did a, a facilita- facilitated a, a workshop for a group of so we largely baby boomers who were very much technophobes, and they, the whole thing started with them like, oh my gosh, technology. I don't even like using email. And by the end, it was like, oh, no, this isn't about technology any more than a telephone's about figuring out which number to push. Yeah. No, it's about people. And, uh, and the good news is that sooner or later, it gets easier and easier to use so that the only thing between you and using it is you.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, that, that's all very technical in
0: terms of where you're from, what you've done, that kind of stuff. As you and I we've had many discussions over the year and, and, and you've, you've presented uh, during some of your your online stuff so how would you define success for you you know you've obviously experienced good success um, you know working for Microsoft they pay bucket loads of money I'm certain um, creating a business and selling it off and then creating another business doing what you're doing
1: how, how do you define success for you and your business you know I love the question. Because that has been a pursuit of mine. Maybe what you don't know is that the current, my current company is my fifth company. And, uh, you know, I mean, it started with a DJ karaoke business back when I was a long-haired guy playing in rock bands <laughs> making extra money. He's Roger day, <laughs> spinning some cheese. <laughs> Whole other story. but But, you know, the idea of how do we find and serve a market? With a, something that intersects at the skill at the at the intersection of profit and, uh, profit and passion and possibility um, has been something that I've been on a path for a long time. For me, however, it's actually been a journey from what I would call classically the entrepreneurial journey to one of being not only happy with but but pursuing a practice. Uh, and I'll, I'll describe the difference. You know, classic entrepreneur ship is actually not unlike what we just started Corvent to do, which is not only does the company serve customers and create cash flow, but it is also designed to be itself an entity that we can sell to someone else and which means it needs to exist somewhat, if not entirely, autonomously outside of you mm-hmm. at some point. Right. You get it there. So you can hand it off and either have somebody run it and spin off cash or sell it to somebody else. Yep. And um you know, which is different than having a practice, right? If you're an attorney, you're a, you know, you're kind of the business. Now that doesn't mean you don't find assistants or other attorneys or partners or whatever. But at some point, you're the business, and the people who say you should never trade time for money um, don't like that, except for me. <laughs> and there were two, there were two ways to think about it. One, my business is also my art. Mm-hmm. I, it, it, I I don't do it just to make money and so back to your definition of success i do it because it's a form of self expression when i write a book or speak at a conference the way that i get to say things is my way of seeing the world and that itself to me is and i say this as a musician is a form of self-expression and art which quite fortunately i also be able to happen to monetize and i sell books and other stuff like that and i gotta say um one of your um countrymen matt church his books, um, Thought Leaders and Sell Your Thoughts, are brilliant on, on that. Yep. Um, and, uh, and for me, that was just me being comfortable with going, hey, I don't need to keep pursuing that which is not me, number one. And number two, in my case, I got kids that, well, at the time were young. Now they're all teenagers. But I knew that the classic lifestyle of a professional speaker uh, meant being on the road. Like yeah. when I played in rock bands, except that I'm not 19 and i got nothing better to do. And, I don't, and, it, <laughs> and it takes longer and, and, and to recover. Paid, yeah, getting paid by beer uh, <laughs> is no longer sufficient. So for me, the balance of being able to you know, play taxi driver and um, go to b- baseball games and, and that kind of thing was a critical part of defining who I am, even if it cost me some money or made a shorter-term goal a longer-term goal in the process.
0: And it sounds to me like when you are considering your success that it it isn't just money it is that that um and i don't, i don't really want to use the term holistic, but it is looking at what are the different elements of my life that bring me joy as well as satisfaction, and how can I plug into them like Um, when we were first having a chat before the call started, you know, you strummed on the guitar saying, I'm just sort of relaxing a bit, getting ready for my next call. So obviously music is still a big part of your life uh, as well as spending time with your family and servicing your clients and uh, uh, not travelling too extensively because let's face it, it's not fun getting on a steel tube flying through the air in the same way that bricks don't, especially if you've got to go through all that security at airports now. So... It really was about choosing a lifestyle
1: uh, well, very much uh you know when you got nothing better to, when you have time, then you don't mind messing around with travel uh or if you have adrenaline like you're off on holiday well that's okay i don't mind hopping on an airplane then, but otherwise it just gets to be painful and despite i don't care how much you think you can be productive on your iphone your ipad your you know the economy plus seat that you paid a few extra dollars to to pay, you know, so you'd have room for your laptop. You know what? It is just not as productive to to to, to work while you're traveling. Yeah. Meaning there is a cost uh, mentally and physically and and socially and you know, eighteen dollar hot dogs in an airport uh, <laughs> are no fun either. Um, I don't care how cheap you think you can get by It just it, it just has a cost and um and and I think that there is. And we all are guilty of it at some point. But there is some measure of how success gets defined by media or by your friends or that kind of thing, which at some point you've just got to wrestle to the ground and make your own and decide, you know, I'm only going to drive the car that I can pay cash for or whatever it is Mm. so that you can then say yes to things like in my case, I play my guitar every day. And when I travel, I have a guitar pick in my pocket, which reminds me about how much I actually like to be home. Yep. with my guitar and my kids. So yeah,
0: yeah. that's
1: okay. me. So, you know, you've talked
0: about success and how you define it. So what have been some of the barriers to success that you've experienced? Like what, what have been some of the challenges that you've, you've hit up to?
1: I think for me, and, and this is, and this is a great question because that, that, that's a great question for me because I wrestled with all of the stuff that in my head, I already knew better. <laughs> I mean I was in marketing at Microsoft you know I mean by the time you get there I mean you, you don't get there because you you know you, you're just figuring out what the heck's going on in the world right I mean you're getting mm. paid to do a job and and so the idea of defining a market and what problem do I solve for whom and how much are they willing to pay for it and and all of that kind of stuff kind of goes out the head when out the door sometimes when your heart gets involved and here's why because in a sense we all have more than one interest or passion and you know, and now I'm the immediate past president of National Speakers Association here in Oregon, and of course, uh, part of my giving back is spending time with upcoming speakers. But this is true with entrepreneurs; we tend to want to cast a wide net so we catch more fish. And the rather ironic piece of success is that the opposite is true. Yeah. Yeah, and you've heard it, f- and I'm not the first person you've heard it from. Maybe yeah. it's, it's got to be me as the 19th person you've heard it from <laughs> to actually say, you know, believe it or not, if you you specialized in customer relationship management computer software for dental offices uh, who only have palm trees growing in their front you know, out, out in front of their office. You know, that's the identity that people are going to know of know you for, and believe it or not, that's more successful than trying to, to do that and be a plumber at the same time.
0: So, with you, how did
1: you niche down? What's your niche? Ooh, you know, that's where my stubborn headedness meant that I took longer to do what um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what I could have been shorter on. Yeah, um, I'll tell you how I how I I resolved that for me. The classic definition of specialization, or I should say the most common definition tends to be vertical, meaning what are the demographic elements of something, um, you know, like I focus on dental practices or, or whatever it is you happen to focus on. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of value in that because uh, I think one of the most powerful things that we need in today's very, very noisy online world is, is referability, referenceability, um, in fact, let me give you a case study I, I, I learned in college that I thought was fascinating. Company makes oscilloscopes, which are these like digital testing, you, you know, things for yep. techie industry. The cathode ray and, oscilloscope, whatever you said. <laughs> um, but the the case study that was was about a company that could sell them to. Um, uh, into the, um, I forget, I think the medical devices industry, and they also could sell them into the, like the manufacturing industry uh, mm-hmm. for fineness of, of testing and, and measurement, right? Yep. The problem is nobody in the medical devices industry goes to the same conferences as the people in, in the you know, electronics manufacturing industry. Yep. Um, meaning Joe and Roger and Bill and Wark aren't all sitting at the lunch table going, hey, Guess what I just discovered or that kind of thing or what have you seen, yep. which is a huge part of, of how you get to market. So um, for me, my specialty uh, – the way I wrestled that to the ground was saying I'm going to specialize – I'm to call it horizontally. So I don't – so salespeople want to use web conferencing to make sales demos and presentations, right? Mm-hmm. Marketers want to use webinars and the same technology, but they want to generate leads and have virtual events, right, to generate leads. Trainers want to onboard – New employees or move classroom training into an online classroom b- to extend their reach or you know, um, et cetera, etc. Cetera, right So it's not me saying I'm f- focusing on an industry or a user type, but I'm focused on a very specific use case, which is how do I adapt what I do offline into an online way in a manner that engages people? Right? Because the number one complaint is always, how do I engage an audience that I can't see? Yep. yep. So that specialty is is then live. Right. Doing that, but doing it in live communication presentations, not pre-recorded stuff. I'm not talking about how you create videos for YouTube, not create, talking about how to create on demand e-learning courses. Live synchronous thing, uh, which you and I are doing one on one. So now,
0: right? so your niche was not necessarily here's my industry and here's my niche that I'm gonna be that, you know, that inch wide mile deep. What you've said is my niche is going to be across industries, but it is for a, a specific delivery mo- mechanism or mode and yes. and and this is the the key benefits that this is going to bring for you.
1: Yes, here's what actually bubbled up uh, over the eight years that I've had this particular you know speaking and training company. What I have found is that as the industry has matured, there has been some natural self-selection, so about two thirds of my work tends to be around the training use case, largely because they tend to be the power users, right? Right, and and the, they're the ones that need to, you know, build more elaborate courses or conduct exercises and breakout groups in a virtual context in a way that say you've never seen a marketer doing a webinar. Yeah.
0: Right now the other thing that that you do is you actually re- represent some of the we' talked about citrix before but some of the manufacturers or the the people who sell the product so uh, how many organizations have you given presentations for where you're representing their product
1: well uh many but i'll say uh, i'll say i don't in a sense I don't represent their product in that i don't i don't um I make no money from you buying Citrix GoToWebinar versus Adobe Connect. So is it more you showcase their product? I do. I'm kind of like the conference speaker that they bring in as the expert who makes them look good. Yep. And uh, which is no different in a virtual sense than a conference organizer hiring you to keynote or MC their event, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't, doesn't – you, you, you know that when you're working for them – your goal is to help them have a great event and bring people in and all that kind of stuff. Yep. But that doesn't mean you're selling their products. That yeah, makes yeah. sense. Okay. And in my case, you know, that's how I work for Citrix, Adobe, uh, Archiden, et etc. In a way that, uh, with integrity, like an analyst firm, I can I can support them in what they do. But I'm not taking money from Citrix. Meaning Adobe doesn't come and say, "Well, you know, you take money for, you, you know, yeah, you yeah. take affiliate fees from Citrix." And so you, so you know. have integrity in your
0: brand, independent, um, but you are representing the the format. So it, essentially, you're getting great exposure from people who want to know about their product, and then also realize now I know about their product. Man, this guy can teach me actually how to use it better.
1: Yes, well, and actually, they are both good examples of the current con- the trend in content marketing, right? Which is that you know you're so tired of the noise that me just shouting louder to cut kind of try to cut through that noise <laughs> is is something that has been decreasing in efficacy for a long time. Yeah, right meaning how am i what am i going to do well i got to put some bait on the fish hook and, and we call that content marketing right yeah yeah, yeah i'm going to offer something of value so that you show up yeah. and so you know whatever we happen to be teaching them that day there's no sales pitch and the representation of their product is by using it well yeah. not by selling it and i suppose that's a- most of the stuff that i do for them doesn't even doesn't ever even use product specific examples if i if i'm teaching you how to do a better sales demo i'm giving you practical examples that you could use with any web conferencing product as opposed to something that is you know going to feel like it's a sales pitch from adobe and and that gets
0: into i suppose um uh, people talk about social media but one of my good friends said that recently that it's no longer social media it's broadcast media so Ah, people are just broadcasting and what i like to call buy my stuff buy my stuff buy my stuff versus here is some great content or something that is free or low value or uh, high value low cost or you know there's a contribution going on versus just this blatant buy me
1: yeah, I know. I it, well, it bums me out that even people even use the word social because there's there's not a lot of social in the social media. There are plenty of people that do social well, but you're right. A lot of lot of crappy advice out there that says, "Hey, if you just get on there and automate a Twitter feed, you'll." Just and
0: and this-, this is it. It's that automated social. Like, here's my. You don't automate your friendships. You don't
1: have someone call up and go, "Hey, I'm calling exactly. on behalf of Warwick to say how are you going." You know, and this is what yeah, exactly. they're doing. Well, and and then sometimes when I'm feeling a little extra snarky like right now, uh, I say, well, so the last time you walked into a conference and just stood up on a chair and said, hey, everybody, look at me. (laughs) How how well did that work for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me play this recording of a presentation I
0: did earlier. Click. (laughs) You know, it's just it doesn't work on that. So, all right. So we talked about how long did it take you to discover your niche? Because people talk about like it can take months, years. Personally, it took me years Yes. How, what about for you? How long did it take you to discover that your niche was this virtual presenting across industries, but really
1: focused on that that engagement methodology? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I decided in two thousand three I was going to be a professional speaker, despite being in the industry and having credibility. I, I, it wasn't a foregone conclusion. I mean, I thought of all kinds like. Like I already mentioned, I thought of all kinds of things. Hey, I've read all this stuff by Dale Carnegie and Stephen Covey and I could go that direction. Right? You know, and, and over time, I've tried it all. For me, even when we started the current company eight years ago, uh, a little over eight years ago, it took us another three years to kind of really dial in on the messaging and the things that resonate. Which actually is is not just me stubbing my toe, but there's a couple of key lessons in there, one from me and one from somebody else, so one of which is I don't care how conservative I've ever been with a business plan about how long it would take to get to cash flow positive, um, but it has always taken longer, which means I'm either really crappy at forecasting or, <laughs> or, or, or it means I'm really crappy at forecasting. Uh, <laughs> um, and the, but the second of which was when we actually got the $2 million of angel funding, um, the – Uh, One of the things that we used to joke about when we were at Microsoft, uh, the the crew of us that left Microsoft and, and started this new company was what we used to call spreadsheet magic because you can make a business plan. Say any damn thing you want to. Yeah. Right, it was spreadsheet magic, and and you know there was a time when uh, even uh, when we got investing, and I'm learning from these guys that are wealthy, and we uh, and, and we go to a board meeting. I'm like, why why do you want to see a business plan where we really are just kind of blowing in the wind? <laughs> and and you know what they said? They said, you know what? There's two things. One, we want to see potentiality. So here's an example. In my world, the world of audio conferencing, meaning you use a telephone for a three-way phone call, right? Something we've all done in, yeah, in, yeah. in most organizations. You know, every, for every audio, multi-point audio conference, there was like 3 or 4% of them had some version of a web conference showing desktop video or those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Well, well, if we got that from 4% to 14%, let alone anything other – the potentiality was huge. Yeah. Right. So that was one. And the second was and, and this this has stuck me with me to this day, they said, We have never invested in a, comp- in a company that looked like the same company three years later. We're investing in people who we trust can figure it out. Okay. And and you know what? I've seen that over and over, not just in my business, but in others as well. Yeah. I don't care how I mean, unless you're really damn sharp before you quit your day job and start your new thing, um, you're probably going to dial it in and figure out who, not d- dial in the messaging and which segments are profitable yep. and where do I have an opportunity to spin things off, leverage my time and income or create derivative products or services or those kinds of things in a manner that, that makes sense to me and the market and, and those kind of things. So um, I think there's some level of especially in today's world, just figuring it out as you go. And that balance between keeping your eye on the long-term goal and having some flexibility in the short term yep. is, uh, yeah,
0: I think, a core skill. And and I think that's that's fair to say that you want to be focused on the goal and how you get there is not all that important. But you also need to be flexible with that goal so when you realize that it's either – unachievable or below the potential that you can achieve you you have the willingness to shift it without changing it massively
1: well, yeah. I mean, in my case, you even asked, you know, balance between money and lifestyle. I mean, I had, I mean, I own 80% of my current company, mm-hmm. right? And my, my business partner, even though I own all of the voting stock, I can make all the decisions unilaterally. He's he's a good friend of mine. We've started multiple companies and, and, and I respect him like my brother. Mm-hmm. So I run big stuff by him. Well, I mean, at one point, this was about three years ago, I went to him and said, I am killing myself and the plan that you said was awesome and I even think is awesome – it's just not awesome for me, <laughs> and I need I need to make a change, or I'm gonna like you know kill myself, or or, or not not literally, yeah, you yeah. know. But you know, you could get health issues, man, with all the the traveling and the extra work and all that sort of stuff.
0: It can impact your health, so you need to you need to manage your own output levels. I think it's important.
1: Yeah, well, and I only get my kids once, right? Yeah. they're around for a few more years, and then I'll have. Hopefully a whole bunch longer while they're off, and now I got to go make a lot of money to pay for college. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, so I think that's and so that's it. I mean, part of that adjustment along the way wasn't even uh figuring out the market thing. Yeah, we were having um, excellent success, um, but success can kill you like like starvation can. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, taking a step back and going, hey, what are we in this for? And in his case, he's a he's a he's a non working partner, yeah. uh, and he's like, you know what? Yeah, uh, your wife and kids come first. Let's let's focus on the right thing. The, 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 do the right thing, and it'll all work out. So uh, that's I, I'm a, very lucky that way. That's a very interesting
0: position that you're in because you've got a life partner with kids who you've got to run major decisions by, but then you've got a silent business partner. Um, how do you how do you manage that? Have you ever had times when there was a conflict, and and if so, how have
1: you had to manage that? I have been fortunate. On both of those fronts so I don't even know if I'm a great case study (laughs) Uh, you know my life partner is interested in me being a good husband and dad Uh, and um, and there have been times when I've been better and times when I've been worse but it wasn't about what should the business do it was really a you know what is the rest of your physical mental and emotional availability and in the example that i gave you my business partner quite fortunately is has just said dude let's just do the right thing mm. and you know and and quite fortunately being a family guy himself he's like you know what the first thing we got to do is make sure that we have have families that we want to go home to yeah so let's do that first and then you know we'll figure out money and and profit after that
0: yeah cool i hey, um so what are there, are there any other major barriers to success that you've experienced in in your five different businesses um that that you've um you've
1: overcome uh well i you know i've had my own share of shiny object syndrome ah the b s o s the bright shiny <laughs> object yes well and it does not help that i think a d d has too many letters in it <laughs> You know, and and that's it. I mean, you know, I mean, I know when you're just getting started, you're trying to get to cash flow positive. There's the end of the runway. And if we don't get the plane off the ground, we're going to we're going to have an unfortunate incident. But, you know, at some point. um, The world is a beautiful thing in terms of having uh, a lot of opportunity. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, that very same thing can drive you nuts in terms of what do I do? What do I not do? Do I do this? Do I not do that? And um, other than taking a retreat on occasion and realigning yourself and your goals and taking a step back from the day-to-day, I don't know how else you, you kind of manage that tension. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, any way that you've dealt with that? Yeah. I oh, Look, and like,
0: like yourself, a bit of a, an entrepreneur, there's always something else that, that goes on. And, and I'm very fortunate. I have a mastermind group. And we uh, we have a phone call every Monday morning and to basically keep us on track with what we're doing and have some accountability. As as a solopreneur, I, I can quite easily get sidetracked by Facebook and Twitter and all that sort of stuff and get to the end of the day going, I really should have done some work today. Um, or there might be a new project, like, oh, I could write a book on this. And writing books is really not my thing. Um, because I get a good idea and then I get bored, so it doesn't really work. So by having this this mastermind group, and we have and we've got one coming up. We have two day strategy sessions pretty much every year where we'll go through each other's business and look at what have you got planned, where do you want to be, and then all have some input, and then we'll all challenge each other both personally and professionally, um, so we can then look at what really counts for you and where should you remain focused and and The bright, shiny object thing is always an issue. And the question always becomes, is this a bright, shiny object? And the answer has been yes on many, many, many occasions. So to me, that mastermind group has saved me so much pain. Uh, Don't don't get me wrong, I still get sidetracked and still have pain. um, But it's about making it a choice and being fully aware of the cost of that choice. Uh, As an example, coming up this week, I'm about to... In in a one-man show at the Melbourne Fringe Festival, which is about one of our senior politicians here in, in Australia, there is no money coming in from this. It has taken a lot of time, but I'm not doing it for that reasons. I'm doing it for that personal enjoyment. And I did run it by my mastermind group going, am I just – what am I doing this for? Um, and, and I made the decision that – you know, after the conversation, that this was something that I was doing for heart purposes uh, and and for enjoyment. And that, that is really worthwhile. I, I see too many people in, in business, either running their own or working corporate, who are so busy, focused on trying to make money and working harder and working harder and longer hours that they forget to live. They're sort of leaving their living to retirement. And that's not my model of approach.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you know, God bless them for people who can just get on a plan and consistently put thirteen dollars and twenty two cents in there in their, in their uh, savings account every week and, and whatever. Uh, but that's not me. <laughs> and at the same time, I also want to live a life that means I don't want to escape from my job and uh, and and watch the telly. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is that right? I don't want to escape from my life. Right. So, uh, quite fortunately. Um, uh, I've managed to to, to to imperfectly get there so far. <laughs> so what do you think has been a big driving
0: force behind that? Because, you know, working at Microsoft, you could have quite easily got on the corporate juggernaut and either stayed there or changed from Microsoft to Oracle to SAP to some other big IT company. What was it that had you think, there's got to be more to it than this? There's got to be a way that I can can have... I experience pleasure in all facets of life.
1: You know, uh, I I love the question, Uh, especially because as I, you know, and I've got friends that are still there and, and, you know, God bless them. They're, they're, they're awesome people, which means there are some awesome people at Microsoft for me. (laughs) And, and, you know, some of it I've only learned through reflection. It wasn't, I didn't even, uh, I didn't even know what was driving me for a while. Um, Oh, by the way, our mastermind group uh, is named for the – with a Yiddish term, Spilkes, which means – which is kind of Yiddish for ants in the pants. So <laughs> uh, if you are listening here today are not in some form of a mastermind group with like-minded individuals who are committed to your success and by the same token, you are a giver to them, uh, you are missing out. Yeah, in, yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever your path, entrepreneurial or not. Yeah, yeah. But you know, for me, the, um, in retrospect, I figured out that uh, I'm a high creative and a job description, at the end of the day in big companies, is the industrial age version of interchangeable parts. <laughs> and, and, and now it's just interchangeable people. And yep. true story, I've known people that have been laid off and rehired by Microsoft multiple times. Yep. Why? Because, not because, because they got great reviews. They're just in the wrong place at the wrong time at the wrong reorg. Right, and so the the idea of that being secure is a is a fast fading thing. And the second was, I never had the opportunity to learn as quickly as I like to learn. And so, you know, for me, the the part of the pain was got this new part of this gig, or a report to this new division, or got this new title, and six months later, I'm ready to move on. Yeah. Twelve months, I mean, it's like I'm chomping at the bit. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, the idea of just learning something and doing it and waking up 20 years from now uh, (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't know it's There's, not one that appeals like, it's, it's one, of, one of the reasons why they make beer I guess <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what's next for Roger Corville like you said before that you're, you're operating a practice so are you now sort of thinking you know, this is it, I love what I do I'm just going to be doing this forever it's got enough money coming in I can afford my college fees for the kids I can keep my wife into the style that she's accustomed and still have money to, to play guitar on the weekend or have you got other plans? what's next?
1: Well, uh, fair question. I am born to innovate and to teach. So, you know, to use a rock band analogy, back in the day, what do a lot of rock bands do? They go in the garage, they they spend some time hammering out the new album or recording or whatever, and then they go on tour. Well, I love that there's this there's this innovation period and it's not perfectly seg- segregated right but there's this kind of innovation of creating something new that is an expression of how you see the world and in my case it happens to be business ideas that f- that come out in fo- in the form of speaking at conferences and coaching and consulting and and you know that kind of stuff right yep. writing books and then teaching and uh, in my case, just going hey you know i i 'm not i 'm no smarter than the next guy i 'm just driven to wrestle with things and then i guess uh fortunately have have learned how to express them in ways that are useful and people want to pay me for so um to answer your question though there i'm am I going to stick around presenting virtually forever? No, already working on new stuff fantastic I look forward to um hearing about your new stuff and sharing in your
0: continued Success Hey now, Roger, If people want to get in touch with you and find out the the secrets of uh, fantastic virtual presenting, how can they get in touch with you and find out
1: more? <laughs> and if you order before midnight you get that's the that's right pull down yeah, <laughs> they right? slice dust and do julienne you know, I mean you can you can a great touchdown point is uh, the blog which is The Virtual Presenter T-H-E presenter.com I give away lots of stuff there and that's of course where you can find me and learn more uh, if that makes sense for your organization so. yeah and having
0: sat in on uh, several of Roger's uh, virtual training sessions I can highly recommend if you want Want to get better at presenting virtually, Roger is the man. Roger, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute joy chatting with you about success and how we can get more success, and I wish you all the very best.
1: The, the honor, and I mean that as H-O-N-O-U-R, Woo-hoo. is all mine. <laughs> Bonus you, always good. <laughs> Thanks, Mark.
0: Thanks for listening to the Get More Success Show with Warwick Merry continue the conversation with other successful people over at getmoresuccess.com that's where you'll find all the show notes as well as a link to our facebook group that we'd love for you to join getmoresuccess.com is also where you'll find all the information you need to connect with me your host warwick mary thanks for listening and we hope you can get more success